Good morning to each one. I greet you in our Savior's precious name this morning. As I thought and prayed about what to bring this morning, I want to bring a message this morning entitled Respect for Authority. As an introduction to this message, I want to give you, tell you a little story. Several years ago, I was asked to go out of state for revivals. And as I was praying what, to, what sermons to preach at those revivals, the Lord prompted me to bring a message on respect for authority. And I don't know why he did necessarily. I didn't know anything about that community. I do know that it seems like every community I go into, I find this being a problem among Christian people. And I don't know if that's why my mind was going that way or not. But anyway, the Lord prompted me to bring a message on respect for authority. And I had to prepare the message. I never preached one on it. So I was preparing it while I was there for revivals. And one lunch, I was asked to go, I was invited to an old couple's uh, home for lunch. Didn't know them at all. And while I was there, the man proceeded to tell me his struggle with the church. And I stopped him. I said, brother, I wanna, I'm planning to preach a message on respect for authority, and I want to have the freedom to preach it without knowing the story. But he was out of church fellowship, and he felt like he was justified because of certain reasons. Again, I just, I'm amazed how much problem we have as Christian people with this subject. The Bible's very clear about it. God is a God of order. God has set up authority structures in everything in the world, including heaven. And I hear some statements at times that I wrote down. One is, he doesn't deserve my respect because he hasn't earned it. The second is, he isn't worthy of respect because of mistakes he makes in his own life. And the third is, God gave me a mind to think and reason to use for myself. Those are all statements that are true at times. But does that give us right to go outside of God's order of headship? I want to I go to Scripture, give a scriptural foundation for the message, the points I want to make in the message. We'll come back to these scriptures as we look at some of these points. So open your Bibles to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, I want to read verses 1 to 7. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same, for he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For, for this cause pay ye tribute also. For they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues. Tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Now let's go to the book of Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, I want to start reading verse 17. 
And whatsoever ye do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ." But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. And now go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. Verse 17. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. I stated earlier that God's a God of order. God has an authority structure in every organization on earth as well as in heaven. The interesting thing about that authority structure is this. Every authority structure is flawed except for the one in heaven. Every authority structure on earth has someone God has placed in authority who is flawed because no man is perfect. Not any of us whatsoever are perfect. The interesting thing as well is the authority of structure in heaven does have a perfect leader, and that's God. The authority structure is God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and the angels. And yet we see even in that authority structure there was rebellion when Satan rebelled against God. So it appears as if rebellion has been a problem throughout ages, and we're not exempt from it today. God's plan for authority structure is that there be peace, unity, and a, a way to live your life that works. And as we follow God's authority structure, that happens. Whether it's in the laws of our land or our citizenship in this land, whether it's in homes, whether it's in churches, whether it's in schools. God is a God of order, and he has authority structures in place in every organization. The first area I want to look at is respect for government, and I want to go back to Romans 13, this passage we read at the start. I want you to notice verse 1. It says, Let every soul be subject or to submit himself to the higher powers, and here's why. There's no power but of God, the powers that be ordained of God. Two and a half years ago, we had an election, and there were Christian people who were very tense about whether Hillary was going to win or whether Donald Trump was going to win. Brothers and sisters, God knew he was going to win, and he didn't need the Amish in Pennsylvania voting for Donald Trump for him to win. God is in control. You notice in this verse, the powers that be ordained of God. There's another verse in Scripture that says God sets up the basis of men. We're, we're talking about an era of time that the Bible was written. Who knows who was the emperor when Paul wrote Romans 13? 
I'd like somebody to tell me if you know. Was Nero worthy of respect? What do you think, Jonathan? In his own human being? No. Herod was a vile, corrupt ruler. He was a very despicable ruler. And yet Paul wrote, let every soul be subject to the higher powers. And he recognized that Nero was in place because God had put him there. Notice verse 2. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive themselves damnation. I want to read that verse from the NIV. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. God has placed authority in our world for a reason. And he calls all people, including, or I should say especially, us as Christian people to submit to those authorities. I had to think about where we are in our world today. Brothers and sisters, we are blessed people tremendously. How would you like it if you were in Syria and you were one of those refugees that were in those Syrian camps, uh, Syrian refugee camps for now going on six years through no fault of their own because there was a breakdown of governing authority? We're blessed people. None of us are there today. How would you like to be in Yemen today? where there's widespread famine because of breakdown of authority. You see, God has allowed us to be part of a nation that is tremendously flawed, brothers and sisters. See, I wouldn't have been surprised if Hillary won, because as I look at our nation, the wickedness of our nation, I don't expect God to let our nation stand. But God is in control, and God has blessed us as a people, but he calls us to submit to those who are in authority. Now, jump down to verse 5. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. He's saying, I'm calling you to submit, not only because if you don't submit, you're going to pay the price for that submission, and, or lack of submission. Brother Robert talked about Walter and, and him finding that out. You see, when we cross certain lines, we're going to pay a price for it. Our our governing authorities have set that in place. And God's saying, don't let that be your determining factor. Your conscience should be your determining factor. Brothers and sisters, we have a higher authority, and that's God. And God has said, I want you to submit, you to obey. And so whether you're going to get caught or not is not the issue. The issue is, God is seeing me. And am I obeying him, or am I not obeying him? That's the point. And then we go on in this passage and calls us to render, therefore, our dues, our honor, our respect. God has placed our governing officials in place. They are flawed. Some of them are corrupt. But God has placed them there for our good. And we have a responsibility to cheerfully submit, cheerfully pay our taxes, cheerfully give them respect and honor. And I use the word cheerfully, and I know that touches me in, in particular times. At times when I pay my taxes, it's really disturbing to me to think about the waste and the corruption that goes on in our world. But again, I ask, I ask myself to consider, I ask you to consider, would you rather live in one of these other countries where you're fleeing from persecution or, or living in a refugee camp 
We are blessed people to be able to live in America. The second thing I want to look at is respect for parents. I invite you to go to Colossians 3. Colossians 3, verse 20 says, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. I didn't read from Ephesians 6, but I want to read verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Both of these passages does give children an out if their parents are asking them to do something that's against the will of God. Because ultimately our authority is to God, so we cannot violate God's law. But whether your parents are Christian or leading you correctly is not the, not the point. The point is God has placed, has placed authority figures in the lives of children, and children have a responsibility to respect and obey and honor. And that comes to all of us because we all at one time were children. As an encouragement to you parents, I'm going to read something. And the reason I, I came to this, I was having a discussion with someone recently as it relates to um, discipline in the home and some of that type of thing. There was an article in the paper recently that said that you shouldn't spank your children. And um, some people have taken that literally. And I just want to read an article. This came from 1994 from Dr. Dobson, and he says this, according to a recent study, young men with high self-esteem shared some common childhood influences. There were three major characteristics of their families. Number one, the high-esteem group was clearly more loved and appreciated at home than the low-esteem group. Number two, the high-esteem group came from homes where parents had been significantly more strict in their approach to discipline. By contrast, the parents of the low-esteem group had created insecurity and dependence through their permissiveness. Their children were more likely to feel that the rules were not enforced because no one cared enough to get involved. And number three, the homes of the high-esteem group were also characterized by democracy and openness. Once the boundaries were established, there was freedom for individual personalities to grow and develop. Thus, the overall atmosphere was marked by acceptance and emotional safety. See, there's three things that are needed in the home. If you go back to Scripture, you find this. The first is love, discipline, and openness. When those things are in place, people can thrive. And so I want to I challenge you as parents, but in this uh, point, I want to challenge you as children God has placed authorities in your life for a reason, and you must obey and you must respect. The third point I want to look at is respect for church leaders, and I want to go to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, we read, it says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that's unprofitable for you. I want to say one thing at the start. Anyone that's in church leadership or as a parent, if you're authority and if you are an authority over your children, God places tremendous responsibility that you lead and live a life that's acceptable with Him because you're going to answer for it. You're going to answer how you led. So there's a tremendous responsibility, and we all need to understand that. 
But within that authority, God says obey, and he says to submit. Why? Let's go to Ephesians 4. I want to look at the mission statement of the church in Ephesians 4. I want to read verses 11 to 14. God established the church for some specific reasons. And it's for my well-being and it's for your well-being as, as Christian people. Hebrews, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Now, he outlines why in the next several verses. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we, excuse me, That we, be, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. I see verses 12 and 13 of the mission statement of the church, and I see verse 14 of what happens if the church is not in place and it's not functioning as it should. And if the church is not in place and you're a Christian and you're on your own, you find yourself in verse 14. You're as children tossed to and fro. You don't have the ability without the help of your brethren. And let me say it this way. I don't have the ability without the help of my brethren to look at Scripture and determine exactly what Scripture has to say. There are many passages where we struggle to understand what God is saying. And through the help of the brotherhood, we find directions the Spirit leads us. It happens over and over, and I give many examples. If I'm left to my own devices, see, I'm an expert on my opinion, but my opinion's not always right. I need my brethren. And there's been numerous times in my life where my brethren have helped me to see that really the way I was thinking was incorrect, and I need to go a different direction. So God has placed the church to help saints grow, to become unified, that the church is built up, and that we become more like Jesus Christ. That's the way a, a, a church, a healthy church, should be functioning. And in that process, he does set leaders in place to give direction. Are these leaders perfect or are they flawed? I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, I'm flawed. I am not perfect. If your respect for church leaders depends on whether your leaders are perfect, you'll never respect them. It's not going to happen because we're flawed men. We're no different than you are. God has given us a responsibility. So we have to carefully follow that responsibility out. But we are flawed men. And we need you to help us that our flaws don't keep the church from going where it needs to go. I want us to look at verse 17. There's two words that we need to understand. The first one is obey. That word means to obey. That's what it means. It's not some veiled meaning in that word. It means to obey. If the church gives direction, we have a responsibility to obey. I want us to look at the second word, and that's submit. It says, obey them, have the rule over you, and submit yourselves. So if I obey, if I obey haven't I submitted? And the answer is no, not necessarily. Submission happens within the heart. 
You see, the, the old story is that the parents told the son to sit down. He sat down, but he mumbled, I'm still standing up inside. That's not submission. That's obedience, but it's not submission. The call is to obey and also to submit. The fourth thing I want to look at is respect in our marriages. And for this, I want to go to 1 Peter chapter 2. I didn't read this passage in the opening because I wanted to read it now and give a little bit of, of a backdrop of where we are. I want to start in chapter 2, verse 13. And as I read this, I want to remember again what we established from Romans. It's the same time period. It's about five years apart. It's still during the period of Nero's reign. This is what Peter wrote, chapter 2, verse 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to be the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. Again, I want to ask you, was Nero a respectable man? The answer is no. He was a despicable man. But Peter said, respect and honor and, and um, obey. Now, verse 15. For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Now verse 18 goes to a different subject. He says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. I want to stop there. I wonder how many times I haven't heard of either within marriages or within organizations where I don't have to obey because he's not what he ought to be. Do you see what verse 18 says? I want to read it to you from the NIV. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. That's the call of God. Now let's read why. For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it, if when ye, when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if, if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. Now here's the third example. Let's read further. For even hereunto were ye called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were sheep, ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. We have three examples in chapter 2. The example of us as people respecting to our governing authorities. The examples of the servants or slaves being subject to their masters, whether they're good or not. And then the example of Christ and the call for us to pattern our life after Christ, follow how he lived. He suffered for doing no wrong. Yet, see, he was committing himself to God. He was submitting to God. 
And he was placing himself where God had put him at that time for, what, for, for whatever reason it was. We know what the reason was. But for whatever that reason was, he was submitting himself and suffering and suffering without being critical or without being um, complaining. That's what we're called to. Now, when 1 Peter was written, there were no chapters. And then he says this, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Who's adorning? Let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also, who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection of their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as you do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. Remember, this likewise refers back to chapter 2. And that's why it's there. It's a continuation of what we just looked at. And it's saying, wives, you're to be submissive to your husbands, even those who are not Christians. You see that even, even if they obey not the word, you're to be submissive. Why? The reason is in, the, in that first verse. That is that unchristian husband looks at your life and he sees your life. He, he's, he noticed there's something different about you than any other woman he's met. And he's drawn to God because of your life. Then he goes on to say, not that your life is filled with frivolous, putting on things on the outside look pretty. Your beauty is going to come from inside. It's going to come because your heart's been changed. And that change of heart is going to give you a meek and quiet spirit. It's going to cause you to submit and to live in that home, even if that home's not perfect, in such a way that the unbelieving husband's drawn to God. Now, husbands, you're not free either. Go to verse 7. See, it says likewise as well. The likewise refers back to chapter 2 and what we looked at. Likewise, ye husbands. Dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Husbands, whether your wife is perfect or not is not the point. The point is, are you living with them according to the knowledge it takes for them to be able to grow and be a Christian, and to grow better in the Lord. Notice also giving honor to the wife. This passage says nothing about love, but Ephesians does. The call is to love sacrificially, where you give up your rights and your wishes for the good of your wife. And you notice, if we're not willing as husbands to live in that way with our wives, our prayers are hindered. We have no power in our life as Christians. Tremendous calling God has for homes, Christian homes, that show forth his love and the fact that he's made a difference in our life. 
Now, I want to shift gears. There's a, there's a man in Scripture, he's actually one of my favorite men of Scripture, and that's King David. And I had to think about him as I thought about this subject. And I want to go to the, to the Old Testament in, in 2 Samuel. I want to look at the life of King David. You see, King David lived in the era of King Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel. But Saul had failed in his administration. And God told Samuel, he said, I want you to go, and I want you to take a flask of oil, and I'm going to tell, he, he was going to David, Samuel didn't know at the time, but he was going to David, and he was going to anoint him king. Now David was anointed king, and from there till he was crowned king was somewhere around 13 years. I, I've not been able to establish completely, but it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 13 years. In that time period, David faced tremendous adversity because of the fact that God anointed him king, but he wasn't king yet. I want you to consider the life of Saul. I want you to ask yourself a question. Was Saul worthy of his respect? Was Saul a leader that David could look up to and say, I can respect him because he's worthy of it? The answer is no. He wasn't. I'm sorry, I said 2 Samuel. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 24. I'm going to read this passage. This was in the the period between when David was anointed king and crowned, and he was chased for his life for a number of years. Matter of fact, many of the Psalms that David wrote were wrote in this this 13-year period of time. Many of the Psalms. And it makes a difference if you read those Psalms and realize that. Let's read this chapter. It came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines, it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheep coats by the way where was a cave, and Saul went in to cover his feet, and David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. And the men of David said unto him, Behold the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy in thy hand that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. Let me stop there. David and his men were hiding in this cave. Saul came in by himself. He was defenseless. David's men saw what were happening. They say, David, here's your chance. God told you you're going to be king. Here's your chance. Let's look what happened. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privately. And it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he cut off Saul's skirt. And he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David stayed his servants with these words and suffered them not to rise against Saul. But Saul rose up out of the cave and went on his way. David also rose afterwards and went out of the cave and cried unto Saul, saying, My Lord the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped, with his face to the earth, and bowed himself. And David said to Saul, Wherefore hearest thou men's words, saying, Behold, David seeketh thy hurt. Behold, this day thine eyes have seen how that the Lord had delivered thee today into mine hand in the cave, and some bade me kill thee. 
But mine eyes spared thee, and I said, I will not put forth mine hand against my Lord, for he, <clears throat> for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yea, see the skirt of thy robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the skirt of thy robe, and killed thee not. Know thou, and see, that there is neither evil nor transgression in mine hand, and I have not sinned against thee, yet thou, <clears throat> excuse me. Yet thou huntest my soul to take it. The Lord judge between me and thee, and the Lord avenge me of thee, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. As saith the proverb of the ancients, Wickedness proceedeth from the wicked, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. After whom is the king of Israel come out? After whom dost thou pursue? After a dead dog and a flea? The Lord therefore be judge, and judge between me and thee, and see, and plead my cause, and deliver me out of thine hand. And it came to pass, when David made an end of speaking these words unto Saul, that Saul said, Is this thy voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, Thou art more righteous than I, for thou hast rewarded me good, whereas I have rewarded thee evil. And thou hast shown this day how that thou hast dwelt well with me, Forasmuch as when the Lord had delivered me into thine hand, thou killest me not. For if a man find his enemy, will he let him go well away? Wherefore the Lord reward thee good for what thou hast done unto me this day. And behold, I know well that thou, hast, thou shalt surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in thine hand. Swear thou therefore unto me by the Lord, that thou wilt not cut off my seed after me, and that thou wilt not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David sware unto Saul. And Saul went home, but David and his men got them up into the hold. You see here, David, Saul had took 3,000 of the chief men, the choicest men of his army, out to find David. Saul knew that he had been rejected as king. He knew that God had appointed David as king. And yet Saul refused to submit to his authority, which was God. And so he sought David to destroy him. Saul went into that cave completely defenseless. David could have killed him so quick. But David in his heart said, I'm going to follow God. I'm not going to violate God's plan. God is able to put me as king when he's ready. And reality is God used that 13 years to mold David into who he should have been. And he became a tremendous king in Israel. And David was willing to submit to what God had for his life. And he was not going to violate God's principles or God's plan. And so you find in verse 8, he showed respect to Saul. He bowed himself in respect. He showed respect to Saul and the fact that he didn't kill him. And throughout the way he talked to him, he was showing respect to his leader. You would think at the end of this passage, Saul would have went home and never chased David again. But you find in chapter 26, he did it again. And I'm not going to read this passage, but Saul again went out with 3,000 men trying to find David to kill him. After David had spared his life, David and Abishai went in after Saul and his army were sleeping. They, Saul was in the middle. They had to walk through these 3,000 men to get to Saul, these two men. They took the spear that was at Saul's head and his jug of water and left. And Abishai told David, he said, you let me strike him to the ground. I won't do it the second time. One strike's all it's going to take. I'll kill him. And David said, no. He's God's anointed. We can't kill him. He left there, went out and, and called to Saul, woke the army up, 
and told him what had happened. And Saul realized that he had failed again. Brothers and sisters, David was a man that showed respect, even though his leaders were not worthy of it. But he recognized that his ultimate authority was God. And he was going to be faithful to God and respectful to his authorities, whether his authorities were worthy of it or not. I want to challenge us to look at Scripture and pattern our lives after Scripture and what God calls us as Christian people. Shall we have a song?